Ladies and gentlemen, the following podcast contains coarse language, strong thematic themes, talk of history and context, terrible imitations of Hollywood figures, and an unbashed love of Hollywood's golden age. It also contains the ramblings of an unstable dork who has too much time on his hands. Listener discretion is advised. And now, on with the program. Okay, Zach, you're on the air. Yesteryear, Ballyhoo, review. Thanks for the memories. Hello again, folks. This is Zach talking. Shut up! Shut up! Ah, he's never happy unless I'm asleep or dead. Anywho, folks, as you know, the Ballyhoo has passed its third anniversary. Uh, It's been quite an interesting three years, uh, and a lot of milestones uh, were achieved this year on this show, ones that meant a lot to me personally. We reached our 100th episode and had four of the most f- amazing guests on that program to talk about Planet of the Apes. We dipped our toe into the world of audio drama with the War of the Worlds bit. And by the way, I'm sorry if anybody felt fooled uh, during that excursion. Yes, the past three years of this show have been filled with intriguing and interesting little things, Uh, whether it's a five-hour discussion on Citizen Kane or if it's something as simple as digging deep into another Jack Benny film like Love Thy Neighbor. There's just been an interesting and eclectic bunch of stuff that has been able to be unpacked this year. Um, I mean, especially the blacklist uh three-parter that we did covering roman holiday and salt of the earth that was a massive undertaking um and adam jewel and marshall rosales put their hearts and souls into that particular discussion as it pertained to a very immediate situation going on in hollywood that very minute as we were recording so it's been quite an interesting year and it's been a great reminder that I do this show for three key reasons, and all the things I just mentioned uh, come in tandem with that. It gives me motivation to research films that are familiar to me and new in as detailed a way as possible and learn more for myself in the process. Uh, The whole Salt of the Earth thing was a great example of that, just learning more about something that's otherwise an anecdote. Uh, It's brought me an opportunity to chat with my friends, whether they're old friends or new friends, and I hope that within that you see the same things that I see in them. Uh, Anywhere from return guests like Matt Willicks and Andrew Bueno on down to new guests like Jonathan Bianti. Uh, These these are folks that I enjoy having in my life, and I'm really hoping that you have found pleasure in listening to them in your life. Um, And this has also become a place in which to focus my energy in good days or bad days. And It's certainly been an interesting year that's been full of low days as well as good days uh not the least of which losing two friends uh over the course of the year has been quite a shaking experience uh but uh it's been nice to know that with love and support from family in combination with this show that uh all was not lost um but all of this is 
uh, only possible because of the support, the folks who have um, lent their voices, the people who come on this show to lend their expertise and or their humor uh, has been the biggest blessing in this whole endeavor. Uh, without them, this show literally does not happen. You would just be listening to me, and that's not fun for anybody. So to Zach B, Ryan, Adam Jewell, Brandon, Andrew, Tyler, Matt Willicks, Henry, John Strelick, Laura, Phil, Kev, Aaron Pendergast, Ryan, Kathy, Smokey, Marshall, Hope, Olivia, Mateo, Cody, Tony G, Anthony, Brent, Brad, Jack, Pam, Jamie, Mr. Lloyd Kaufman, Sterling, Abella, Matt Murbach, Aaron, Jay, the wonderful John Matthews, rest well in peace, sir, James, Jeff and Corey, Chloe, awesome Steve Noble, uh, Corinne, Walden, Nate, Rashmi, Andrew Bueno, Mr. Keith Scott, Daryl, John Henderson, Adam Roach, uh, Tony Semchuk, P.G. Jones, John B., Victoria, Adrian Halgoon, Amy, Maddie Ghost, and now Annette. Thank you all for donating your time, energy, and cheer to what has become an amazing place to podcast. And for anybody out there who listened for five minutes or five hours, thank you for even taking a minute to try it out. I know that there's a lot going on in the world, and listening to a podcast that can range anywhere from an hour and a half to five and a half hours is not always feasible and not always desired. So if you did listen and you did enjoy, I hope that that escape or pause of thought along the way uh, was helpful in your life. And I hope you continue to enjoy it as we gear up for a very fun time ahead. And what is coming, you might ask? Well, I'm sure you've seen the new YBR Presents series covering Japanese horror. That's right, Japanese horror. In case you missed it, Kawaii, a look into Japanese horror of the past, has been launched and will continue to release bi-weekly until the series concludes. It's an honor to have Rashmi Manan on this project of passion that she developed and curated for YBR Presents and the Ballyhoo Banner at large, and one that will undoubtedly prove enlightening as the episodes progress. This will be quite a journey. It already has been, and it will continue to be, I promise you. There's a lot of episodes that have been pre-recorded that, just trust me, the, the conversations get even more intriguing than they've already been. Um, but within that, as Kawhi has begun, we must recognize the fact that Tour de Tati did indeed conclude in November. And I need to thank Sterling Cook once again for being an amazing co-host covering the artistry of Jacques Tati. It, it was a series that brought me a lot of joy um, as spread out as it was over basically the roughly the existence of this show at large. And it's uh, it's it's one of the most amazing experiences I've ever been able to uh have uh in regards to film comedy and film at large um sterling is one of the most amazing and passionate folks we've had on this show and i'm so happy that uh he has come into this fold and 
his passion and his charm will always be welcome as long as this show exists. So thanks once again, Sterling, for a tatirific time. On the regular feed or the more conventional episodes, things will still be carrying along. Uh, we have some lovely episodes ahead as 2024 beckons. Firstly, we will have an unconventional episode moderated by radio recreationist Paul Kovit uh, that covers the fandom of Golden Age material featuring old and new guests. Uh, guests that hopefully will come on for their own solo show to talk about uh, a title that they enjoy. Following that discussion uh, will be one that is over a year in the making. Fantasia, featuring the return of Andrew Bueno alongside the Ballyhoo themes composer and a very dear old friend, Mr. Matty Ghost. It is quite a spirited and crazy chat, one that you won't want to miss. I think it it, it certainly Tyler Maybe and Matthew Murbach's Disney episodes are beyond essential, but if Andrew Bueno and Matty Ghost wanted to come aboard those discussions down the line, I certainly wouldn't be opposed to it, given the fun that we had on the Fantasia discussion. And Mr. Bradley Haig is coming back to the Valley Hill. Uh, it's been a minute since he's been on a regular episode, but you did hear him uh, during our whole wonderful War of the Worlds bonanza. Uh, and the next time you're going to be hearing him, he's going to be talking about that subject again. George Pell's 1953 production of War of the Worlds is coming to the Valley Hill. So stick around. Uh, for more chatter surrounding that H.G. Wells tale, courtesy of Bradley Haig and myself. And you're going to get a little bit more of a 50 sci-fi perspective on this compared to the insanity that the radio episode caused. Um, but Brad is not here to just chat about alien invasions based on Victorian-era novels. No, 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 no. Like myself, Brad believes in boldly going where no one has gone before. Or at least where this show has not gone before. Television! Uh, yes, Brad will be joining me to help debut television onto the show as we cover one of its most illustrious titles, Star Trek. So stay tuned for a chat about the adventures of the original Enterprise crew and its lasting impact on pop culture to this very minute. Uh, and additionally, at some point we will do Tales of Tomorrow for television as the late John Matthews would have wanted to do. And down the line, there are many surprises in store and some continuing prior efforts. I will simply say that if you're a Disney fan and a Marx Brothers fan, your appetite will be fulfilled as 2024 carries on. And now that birthday matters have been addressed, and now that we've gotten a little tease about what's coming in the uh, year 2024, we will, as always, conclude this episode with some radio treasures. Uh, this year's selections do indeed relate to prior chatter from two fronts along with one that has never been covered and will get covered eventually, but I'm in a mood to share some fun stuff with you that means a lot to me. Uh, first of all, we will fulfill a fake promise for you uh, and bring you a lovely time capsule treat. Now, during the Ballyboo, you all got to hear a small chunk of the Chase and Sanborn hour before it was interrupted by that alien invasion that jammed our signal with Orson Welles' War of the Worlds. Well, you will be able to hear the whole show. 
as discussed during our episode covering the Mercury Theater production of War of the Worlds, this was the program that folks supposedly switched dials on while Nelson Eddy was doing a musical break to then land upon the Martian invasion and thusly scare themselves shitless. Uh, While that mythology has been slightly debunked or at least clarified, I figured it would be a fun idea to play the episode in full so that you, the listener, can have a sense of what the public at large was more tuned into or more uh, uh, passionate about on a more stable basis. Uh, And in many ways, it gives us a glimpse into what was popular at the time compared to the retrospective analysis of what has stood the test of time. So be ready for some Halloween-themed giggles, courtesy of Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, Don Amici, and their guest Madeline Carroll from October 30th, 1938. And then we will give you two more programs, a comedy and a mystery. Uh, And these selections come from the heart. I figured in the spirit of giving gifts this season that I would like to give you something that means the world to me. Two radio programs that changed my life as a kid and put me on the path to enjoying old-time radio. With the year being as difficult as it has been with loss of both personal friends and prior guests, um, I think that uh, uh, the desire to kind of share from the heart has been on my mind the last couple of months. So hopefully these two selections will bring you as much joy uh, in your life as they have brought mine. First of all, you will be taken to February 20th, 1944 for an episode of the Jack Benny program with his very special guest, Groucho Marx. Ah, uh, yes, yes. This episode comes from a period in Jack's radio career that was not as sparkling as the years that came before it or after. It's a time of transition between writers and an era where the Second World War was a prevalent propulsion for much of the output, whether visiting military bases or civilian efforts like the Hollywood Canteen. Therefore, it is not what you would consider a premier Benny outing, but it was the first episode of his I ever listened to, and the one that would pique the initial interest uh, that I would later gain momentum with is regarding to the radio adventures of Jack and his wonderful gang. And no matter how much the program before or after it uh, would hold high in estimation, whether it was uh, a Jello episode or a Lucky Strike episode, this one will always remain in my top 10 episodes of all time ever, just for the sentimental reasons alone. And it does come with an interesting anecdote surrounding its creation. You see, Groucho Marx was slated to be a guest on Jack's program prior to this, uh, but Groucho had a tendency to meddle with scripts and uh, take a little bit more creative control than he should have been allowed to. And Benny's writers uh, relayed this information to Jack uh, in regards to Groucho's interference, and Jack uh, basically said, well, then fine, we're not going to have him as a guest, and they proceed to do a different show entirely. Not long after that, Groucho asked why he hadn't been a guest on Jack's show yet, and Jack said, I'll tell you why, because... You have disrespected my writers, and I don't appreciate it. And so Groucho conceded that he would respect the writer's material given to him and cooperate, thus resulting in the episode you are about to hear. So there you go. Nice little tidbit of history that says a lot about both Jack and Groucho, for better or for worse. 
And then finally, we will take you to November 6, 1939, and to the memorable location of 221B Baker Street, home of that master detective Sherlock Holmes. That's right, folks. Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce will be your closing event for the evening. And what better way to end an evening than with those two playing the uh, legendary Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Now, this particular adventure is called the Bruce Partington Plans. And it may not be the grandest of their adventures. Obviously, Holmes has been at the front of grander cases than this, uh, not the least of which maybe battling Professor Moriarty at Reichenbach Falls uh, or solving the mystery of the Hound of the Baskervilles. But uh, this is the very first old-time radio program I have ever heard, period. So like the Benny program you've heard, it stands tall as one of the grandest things I have ever listened to. Uh, and it remains close to my heart to this very minute. It's the program that I listen to when I want to remind myself why I love this material of the past. Um, and it's a it's a reminder of my grandfather, Pete, uh, who exposed me to all of this nostalgic entertainment when I was very young. So therefore, in the spirit of Christmas, uh, we're giving you a thanks from the heart. And I'd love to uh, give you this gift on behalf of both myself and my grandfather, wherever he might be. Uh, in the netherworld, uh, in the hopes that you enjoy it as well. And given that it features that definitive duo of Bruce and Rathbone, uh, who would go on to very much define how we cinematically portray Holmes and Watson in various forms and fashions, I think you'll be in for a treat, regardless of how you feel about the mystery as it ranks in the Holmes canon. So on behalf of myself and the many guests that have come on to Ballyhoo, I want to extend my deepest thanks once again and to wish you all a very happy holidays and happy listening ahead. Like I said, this show is one of the most joyous things that has happened in my life. And no matter where the show goes this coming year, and no matter what crazy directions we are taken, I am so happy that anyone here listening has been on the journey, whether you just got on or have been here since three years ago. So thank you once again. And with that, there's only one thing left to say. Take it away, Magic Radio Dial. The makers of Chase and Sanborn Coffee, the superb blend you know is fresh, present the Chase and Sanborn Hour, and your host, Don Amici. This is Don Amici, rounding up the Chase and Sanborn gang and greeting you for all of them. A hearty hello from Nelson Eddy, Dorothy Lamour, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, Robert Arm Brewster, and Judy Canova with Annie and Zeke. We hope that you'll enjoy our show and that throughout the week you'll remain our friends as well as friends of Chase and Sanborn. With a, uh, Howdy, Mr. Amici. Uh, oh, hello, Judy. Is there anything I can do for you? Say, you know, Mr. Amici, I've been looking at that little McCarthy fella for four weeks now, and I'll be dogged if I can figure him out. Yeah, well, don't try it, Judy. We all have the same trouble. It sure is mystifying how them words comes a-bouncing across his wooden tonsils, ain't it? <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Yeah, and you know, I keep thinking of what folks down in Unadilla do if they see him. Would they be amazed, Judy? Amazed? <laughs> Listen, Mr. Amici, did you ever see a tree walking? 
<laughs> like as not, they hang a slap bucket on to it. No, 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 no. Hey, 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 what's going on here? Oh, well, Charlie, Judy only meant yeah, that Yeah, yeah, I heard you... what she said. I heard. I oh, heard. shucks, Charlie. I was only complimenting you. Mm. Why, you ain't got nothing against me, have you? No, but I can very easily develop something. <laughs> oh, now, listen here. Now, that's too bad, Charles M. You see, uh, I was hoping that I and you could sort of kind of get together like, you know. Uh-oh. I sort of like you. You do? I sure do. Bergen, get your gun. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, Charlie. I'm sure you'll feel better when you know that our guest tonight is one of our mutual friends honoring us with a return visit, the lovely Madeline Carroll. Oh, Madeline, da 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 dum da Thanks, Charlie, but we'll let Nelson Eddy do the singing. And it's the rousing, rip-roaring song of the vagabonds from the Vagabond King. <laughs> The Paris town, you lazy rabble of low degree. You rabble of low degree. You spare King Louis to keep his crown and save our city from Burgundy. Our city from Burgundy. You and I are good for nothing but to die. We can die for liberty. Will you serve a stranger and bow down to Burgundy? Sons of shame and sorrow, will you cheer tomorrow for the crown of Burgundy? France around us, break the chain that bound us, and away with Burgundy. Sons of toil and danger, will you serve a stranger and bow down to Burgundy? Sons of shame and sorrow, will you cheer tomorrow for the crown of Burgundy? and ready man of Canada, a big, brawny French-Canadian logger, the kind of a fellow who skips nimbly from log to log as they float downstream to the mill. Sure-footedly, he prevents the dreaded jams, and yet he always seems to find time to wave at the girls on the shore. Nelson Eddy sings the Canadian logging song. Down the rivage we float, we float the logs, they make the ground a boat. On the logs we leap and laugh as safe upon the logs as on the run. There's a rock, watch out, mon frere, you maybe get a big shipwreck there. The sun is shining on the shore, we see big salmon jump some more, some more. Down the rapids we hear them roar, now may flag it on the shore, hold on. 
logs, they make stampede like herd of cows and on to leap. With log and pole, we have to leap to coax them out from log jam deep. A log jam is so hard to coax as a crowd of tricky women folks. The river bends, we get a view of fatigue, the bill they be at home. We wave and they smile, we know. All right, we see them again at the dance tonight. Hola, hola. Those black eyes, we promise to be true. We dance, we dance the whole night through. Down the rivage we float, we float the log. She make it a grand boat. On the log we leap and laugh for safe upon the logs. is on the raft. Hola, 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 hola. We will go tra 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 tra. A haunting we will go. <laughs> hey Charlie, the word is hunting. Well, not on Halloween, it ain't. <laughs> Say, uh, what are you going to do tomorrow night, Charlie? Oh, I don't know. Duck thrapples, I guess. What else can a fellow do on a measly seventy-five cents a week? <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> Charlie, I wish you wouldn't take advantage of every opportunity to mention the allowance I give you. Oh? No. Why? It's embarrassing. Yeah. I am ashamed of it, too, Bergen. Yeah. <laughs> All you think of is money. Pleasure can be derived in many other ways. Name four. Well, <laughs> say, Edgar, aren't you going to stage a Halloween party for Charlie tomorrow night? I certainly am not, Don. Oh. I haven't forgotten Charlie's party last year when he ruined the furniture and the carpets. Yeah, and broke windows, too. Yes, yes. Don't forget your broken windows. <laughs> Four broken windows. Yeah, five. Five? Yeah. I broke one after you took inventory. Oh. <laughs> what a party. Talk about laughs and the fun we had. <gasps> oh, gee. I remember it still. I can assure you there will be no repetition of last year's riot. No. No. That experiment was much too expensive. Oh, sure. No party this year? No party. Oh, Aren't you going to do anything for a little itsy-bitsy Charlie on this Halloween? I don't know. You don't know? No. Oh, I may... I may tell you a ghost story. Yeah. <laughs> a ghost story? Yes. Do you think you can afford it? Oh, no. <laughs> Say, Edgar, I like ghost stories. Do you know any good ones? Well, I know one, Don. Hey, yeah. you don't mind if I join you, do you, Edgar? I like to listen to ghost stories. Well, not at all, Nelson. Oh, Edgar, are you was... going to tell a ghost story? Yes. I love them. They frighten me to death. <laughs> you better sit close to me, Dottie, and hold my hand. Well, this isn't really a ghost story. No. No. It's, it's an actual experience. Oh, sure, 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 sure. They all start out that way. <laughs> a friend of mine by the name of Joe Franklin purchased an eight-room house in Hoosick Falls, which is a small town in upper New York. How far is that? How far is what? Uh, Hoosick Falls. What about it? How far is it? Well, from where? Oh. <laughs> Thank you, anyway. <laughs> I still don't think it's the right answer. <laughs> Well, anyway, 
my friend, he bought this old house. Say, how many rooms did you say it had, Edgar? Uh, eight rooms. How darling. charming. Eight rooms? Two-story? No, it's a ghost story. <laughs> As a matter of fact, Dorothy, it was a two-story house. But the upstairs quarters were never used because there was a rumor that they were haunted. They were what? I say, they, they were inhabited by ghosts. Well, uh, didn't Joe Huzik know that before he bought the place? Uh, no, well, he... Uh, the name is Joe Franklin, and the house is in Huzik Falls. Oh, I see. Well, you you want to watch that, Edgar? <laughs> <laughs> so, Say, Ed, did Joe Falls know that Huzik was haunted? Yes. <laughs> Don, the name is Franklin, and the house is in Huzik Falls. Uh, it was an eight-story, two-room house. What I mean yeah. is... <laughs> We got him, boys. We an eight-story, two-room house, huh? <laughs> what he means, it's an eight-house, two-story room. No, no. <laughs> Did anybody live in it? Yeah. Yeah, Huzik lived downstairs. <laughs> and he raised goats upstairs. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Who lived in what? Uh, Mr. Poughkeepsie. <laughs> lived in Schenectady. I don't know. What is this? <laughs> Well, I don't think you people want to hear this story at all. Of course, if you don't, we'll just say so that... Now, now, Bergen, don't be sensitive now. They at least give me the curse. Of course, of course we want to hear the story, don't we, Don? Why, sure we do. Have you heard it before, Charlie? Yeah, I hear it every Halloween. He does it all. <laughs> he brings it out, yeah. Is it a good story? It's awful. But let's egg him on. Yeah. Oh, come on, come on, Edgar. Tell us the rest of the story. What was your friend's name? Oh, well, let's forget his name, and let's forget he's my friend. Oh, forgetting friends, huh? What's the matter? Did he write for money? No, no, no. He did not write for money. Do you understand? Uh, no, he didn't. Oh. Is, is him sore, Bergen? No, no. <laughs> Oh, come on, Edgar. We'll behave. Tell us. Very well. I shall make a final attempt, but I insist on absolute silence. Yes, you've got to have to quiet now. And stop whispering, please. Yes. Excuse me. Is it all right if I breathe a little? Oh, yes. <laughs> now, this is a true story. Uh-huh. But if at any time you question the veracity of my statements, stop me. We sure will. <laughs> this incident took place about... Uh, well, I should say about eight years ago, at which time I, I was considered quite a handsome young man. Stop! All right. <laughs> oh, no. oh. You can't sell us on that. All right. Charlie, if you'll only keep quiet, you'll find that this story is very, very gripping. Griping is the word. <laughs> Now, you keep quiet, Charlie. We want to hear this story. Thank you, Don. Okay, Edgar. For <laughs> oh, you, all right. <laughs> Two-faced and all right here. Now, <clears throat> where was I? You're right here. Yes, I'm <laughs> Picture, if you can, an old house with a foundation settling, sagging roof, peeling wallpaper. Can you picture it? Picture it? We live in it. <laughs> In this house, there had formerly lived an old miser. Of course, you know what a miser is. Oh, sure, sure. A miser is a man who thinks 75 cents a lot. No. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> that burns him up. <laughs> now, this miser had lived and died in one of the upstairs bedrooms, and it was believed that his ghost haunted it. Uh, the plot thickens. <laughs> and do you know, Charlie... 
I was the first person brave enough to spend a night in that bedroom. Ah, oh, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Nothing happened until midnight. Nothing ever does. <laughs> and then, out of the still of the night, I heard the old grandfather's clock in the hall strike the witching hour. Bong! <laughs> cuckoo! Cuckoo! Don, will you please stop? Yeah, when you hear the next cuckoo, it'll be exactly Bergen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, enough of that. Yeah. Fellas, will you stop interrupting? <laughs> Gee, you're being very rude. Oh, now, keep quiet, and very Charlie. unfunny. And the all least right. you can do... All right, all right. Will you stop, too, Charlie? Oh, me? Yes. How is... You're the worst one of all. Is that so? Yes. <laughs> Shortly after midnight, I heard a peculiar noise, as if someone were tapping on the walls. Oh, all right. <laughs> I thought I saw something. No, no. <laughs> tapping on the walls. Yes, yes. And I heard footsteps on the ceiling. I couldn't figure out what it was. Maybe you had a snootful. No, no. <laughs> I was only trying to help. Well, please don't. All right. No, no. Then suddenly, the steps got closer and closer. And then, without warning, a horrible figure pounced upon me. Something tugged at my memory. Where had I seen that ghostly face before? In a mirror? No, no. <laughs> Uh, that settles it. That settles what? I'm not going to finish this story. Well, why not? Well, I'm not going to make a fool of myself. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yes, you're right. You're right. I have made a fool of myself. Well, it certainly took you long enough to get wise. <laughs> A few years ago, a song about a couple of people who were very, very tired swept the country. Remember, let's put out the lights and go to sleep. Well, now another one has come along, and it looks like just as big a hit. It's by Hoagy Carmichael, and it's called, simply enough, Two Sleepy People. Dorothy Lemoore shows how it goes, and very nicely, too. Dorothy? <laughs> You and look at me, just two wilted flowers. We should get a cuckoo clock for this house of ours. Uh, you got a cigarette? Oh, honey, no. Gee, it's getting kind of cold, too, isn't it? Here we are, out of cigarettes. Holding hands and yawning, look how late it gets. Two sleepy people by dawn's early light, and too much in love to say goodnight. Here we are, in a cozy chair, picking on a wishbone from the frigid air. Two sleepy people. Nothing to say And too much in love To break away Do you remember The nights we used to Linger in the hall Father didn't like you at all Do you remember The reason why we married In the fall To rent this little nest And get a bit of rest Well just about the same Foggy little fella Drowsy little dame 
watching love to say excitement you want to hear about Charlie McCarthy's new radio game. Yes, you'll get laughs and thrills by the minute when you play Charlie's new radio game. Many of your friends and neighbors are already enjoying it. Whether you're 9 or 90, it will bring you hours of fun. The game includes 21 lifelike, full-color figures of your Chase and Sanborn radio friends. There are four figures each of Edgar Bergen, Nelson Eddy, Don Amici, Dorothy Lamour, and Robert Armbruster. But there's only one figure of impudent young Charlie McCarthy. And that's what causes the excitement. The play is controlled by a spinner, and every player tries to get Charlie. And here's how you get Charlie's radio game. Send us two dated bag fronts from Chase and Sanborn dated coffee, together with only ten cents. You're sure to enjoy the fine, mellow flavor of dated coffee. For it's not only a superb blend of the world's choice coffees, but it's truly fresh. Yes, dated coffee is delivered to your grocer by a fresh food delivery service from the oven nearest to his store. The date of delivery is plainly marked on every bag. And that date assures you of fragrant aroma, of rich, satisfying goodness, of freshly roasted coffee. Begin now to enjoy Chasen Sanborn Dated Coffee. Send us two dated bag fronts and only ten cents... And we'll mail you Charlie's Absorbing You game right away. Address Chase and Sanborn, 420 Lexington Avenue, 420 Lexington Avenue, New York City. Buy Chase and Sanborn dated coffee from your grocer tomorrow.
very finest, grade A, number one quality welcome goes to our special guest, the beauteous star of both the British cinema and the American movie, Madeline Carroll. She has but recently returned from abroad to play the leading role in the Paramount picture, Cafe Society. Miss Carroll appears tonight in a play by one of her distinguished playwriting countrymen, John Van Druten. A play about an English girl and an American boy. Madeline Carroll in There's Always Juliet. It has been quite a day in the life of Leonora Perrycost. Until the middle of the afternoon, she had been just an ordinary English girl. But then at a party, she met Dwight Houston, an American architect, and her whole life changed. That evening, they went to dinner, the theater, and a nightclub. Now it's about one o'clock in the morning, and Dwight is bringing Leonora to her apartment. Well, here we are. Gee, that was a great idea of yours to go to the... Uh... Uh, what was the name of that place? Hoban Empire. That's it, that's it. I still got that beastly old song in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm alone because I love you. Love you with yeah. all my heart. Da 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 da. I had to be true. Sorry, I can't say the same about you. <laughs> I think it's the silliest song I ever heard. Well, I'm inclined to agree with you. Dee 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 dee. I say, won't I ever get that tune out of my head? Well, let's try something else to take the taste away. I can't think of another song. Well, in spite of that tune, it's it's been a grand evening. I've enjoyed it so much. Leonora. Hmm? Uh, by the way, do you mind if I don't call you Leonora? It's my sister-in-law's name, and I, I can't bear my sister-in-law. Hmm. What would you like to call me? Steve. Steve? Uh-huh. Why? I don't know. I, I'd like to. Of course, if you feel like that about it. Uh... Steve. Well? I think I'm, uh, I'm a little in love with you, Steve. You're so adorable. I love you, too. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Why? We've known each other, what is it, five hours? Well, that's long enough, surely. To be in love? Oh, I fell for you the minute I saw you. I was watching you from across the room long before I came and talked to you. Didn't you know? I knew I wanted you to come and talk to me. Ah, uh, darling. What do we do now? I... I feel we should rush out and do something... Oh, something violent. Knock down a cop or something. It's grand, isn't it? It is, rather. <laughs> it's like spring. Zowie! Yeah? I feel a bit lighthearted myself. We'll see each other lots, won't we? Lots. You'll be in England only three weeks, you said. Oh, let's not talk about that, huh? No. Mind over matter. We'll have fun the way we had this evening. Let's see, what should we do tomorrow? Oh, let's go into the country, can we, for the day? I thought you were here on business. Haven't you appointments? Well, I, uh, I'll see a man a week from Thursday, but, but just for an hour in the morning. That's what it is. Business, business, business all the time. <laughs> all right, then. We'll take my car. Go down to Sussex, somewhere on the dial. Oh, I, I've heard of Sussex. I should think so. No, no. Uh, hasn't it got a, uh, a dialect? That's where they say Dumbledown, isn't it? No, that's Somerset. Ah, these suburbs. <laughs> How do you know about Dumbledown? Oh, B. Lily used to sing a song about it. Mm. Shall we drink ale? Oh, you don't know how disappointed I was the first time I came over here and found that ale in England was the same as beer in America. I'd always pictured ale as something, oh, something terribly special, like uh, uh, sack or, or mead. I know. Or possets. Uh, what's a posset? 
Sounds like an animal. Not possums, posses. <laughs> it's a drink, sort of a nightcap, I think. Oh, possets. That sounds silly, doesn't it? Mm. I'll tell you what, let's not, let's not have them, huh? Let's not. All right. <laughs> I know a little inn where we'll lunch with a stream and a garden. Oh, that's swell. I'll call for you. How early? About ten. Well, I'm a lazy riser, but I'll make an exception. You think I ought to go now? I think you ought. I never shall if you don't turn me out. I think you'd better. All right. Funny, Steve. Good night. Oh, uh, uh, by the way, Steve, would, would you consider marrying me? Would you? What? Could we do it tonight? Of course not. Well, why not? Do you, do you have to have an act of parliament? No. Wouldn't you? Oh, do, Steve, please. It isn't much to ask. I couldn't. It'd be crazy. Oh, I want to this minute. Terribly. Just so as not to lose you. But I've got some sense. Well, what's sense got to do with it? Everything. Look at it sensibly. I've, I've only known you five hours. We can't get married like this. I don't know a thing about you except that you're fun and that I like you. Oh, I should have thought those were reasons enough. No, but be sensible. Oh, how can I? Over you. I tell you, I'm crazy about you. Don't you believe we'd make a go of it? I don't know. Just imagine the scene with mother and father. Mother, I've got something to tell you. Yes, dear, what is it? I'm going to be married. Oh, really, dear? Who to? Anyone we know? <laughs> no. Dwight Houston. And who may Dwight Houston be? That's father. Yeah. <laughs> He's an American. An American? And how long have you known him? Oh, about five hours. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine the reply to that. Oh, well, that's easy. But, Mother, I'm in love with him. Oh, but this is absurd of us. I, I don't know you. I, I don't know the first thing about you. We can't be in love with each other. Well, don't let's bother too much about it, shall we? We seem to like each other anyway. Besides, there's always Juliet. Juliet? Well, she and Romeo did it in five speeches. I always said that was an improbable play. If I profane with my unworthiest hand, uh, well, what's the rest of it? I don't know. We've got it in the bookcase somewhere. Yeah. Oh, here. Here it is. Oh, uh, I'll find the place. No, no. Yeah, I got it right here. If I profane with my unworthiest hand this holy shrine, the gentle fine is this. My lips, two blushing pilgrims, ready stand to smooth that rough touch with a tender kiss. He's a fresh guy, that Romeo. <laughs> Good pilgrim, you do wrong your hand too much, which mannerly devotion shows in this. For saints have hands that pilgrims' hands do touch, and palm to palm is holy palmist's kiss. Well, there you are. <laughs> well, we're, we're hardly Romeo and Juliet, are we? Still, it's nice to think we've got a precedent sort of. Oh, we've got a million precedents. I suppose we have. I, I never believed in it until now. We live and learn. Dwight, will you give me one concession to the serious part of me? What's that? Please leave now and, and don't make me give you an answer until tomorrow morning. All right, I'll go. But you got to promise to say yes. I promise. Good night, hideous. Sweet, good night. This bud of love by summer's ripening breath. Why? I don't want to take it like that. Well, then, 
Like a song? I'm alone because I love you. Love, love you, you with all my heart. Good night, Steve. Good night. I have no joy of this contract tonight. It is too rash, too unadvised, too sudden. I'm alone because I love you, love you with all my heart. Da da da, da da, it has to be true. Oh, Dwight. I don't know what to do. I love you so. <laughs> I'm alone is Don Amici, and the Chase and Sanborn Hour continues. Hidden in the scores of many almost forgotten operas are a great many beautiful arias. One of these operas is Massenet's Leroy Delore, from which Nelson Eddy sings Promesse de Mon Avenir. <laughs> How does I do, Nelson? Well, you are warm. <laughs> well, since you're going to sing it, I think you better say it. All right. From Massenet's Leroy Delore, the aria Promesse de Mon Avenir. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Thank you, and Nelson Eddy sings it. <laughs> C'est une invisible main Elles ont du désir Gagné le chemin Le peuple est rassuré C'est mon nom qui l'acclame Charmé, 
I didn't know you had it in you. Yep, and I'm sure glad you got it out of her, too. You took in a football game, huh, Julie? Oh, I bet you had a good time out there, huh? I had a good fight. <laughs> a fight? Yes, sir. We know more than sat down when a fella passed me an insult and Zeke up and bashed him one. Well, I don't blame him. If anybody insulted you with me around, I'd bash him one myself. Would you? Well, I certainly would. Anybody want to try him out? <laughs> never mind that, never mind that. Uh, Zeke, what, what did the fellow say about Judy that got your dander up? Ain't nobody calling my sister a hog. Somebody called you a hog, Judy? Oh, he didn't. Oh, he did. Soon as I sat down, that fella turned to me and says, Who are you rooting for? <laughs> well, who were you rooting for? Uh, I mean, which, which team were you for? Well, I wasn't for nobody and I wasn't again nobody. See, I just wanted to see them bust each other around. Oh, the weaker sex, huh? Were you sitting near enough to see them get busted? <laughs> well, I tell you, I and Annie were satisfied, but Zeke kept on complaining that the players was getting smaller and smaller all the time till he could hardly see them. Well, maybe he was sitting up too high. Didn't, didn't you bring glasses along, Zeke? No, I just drunk it out of the jug. <laughs> Well, I still say it was too high. Did you like the game, Zeke? What a saw of it. I liked it, too. Oh, why don't you get with it, Annie? You didn't even pay no attention to the game after some fella said this how you was a beauty. 
Any founded admirer? Oh, I knew there must be, she must be somebody's type. <laughs> you did. <laughs> well, I'm a telling you, Mr. Amici, that fella what was selling them sandwiches walked right by all them movie stars without giving them a tumble. But when he come by us, he looked straight at Danny and he yelled, Hot dog! <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful, Annie. What did he say? How many? Uh, that's enough, Annie. Sit there quiet and count your buttons. I saw you at the game, Judy. I waved to you, but I couldn't get your eye. Lardy, Miss Lamour. I was too busy watching that fella in front of the grandstand that was tucked with them galloping jitters. Jitters? Oh, why, Judy, that was a cheerleader. Well, I guess I should have known that. Zeke acts the same way when he's full of cheer. <laughs> you know, uh, that leader sure made them little bunch of fellas yell so you could hear them all over the field. Oh, well, most of the stadiums nowadays have very good acoustics. They sure? Mr. Amici, you say the craziest words. <laughs> hey, Zeke, come here, son. What in the world's acoustics? Acoustics is what you shoot pool with. <laughs> Mr. Amici, that boy's going to be a great wit someday. Well, why not? He's halfway there already. <laughs> you said that right. Well, anyhow, he's happy. You could always certainly had your troubles. You were insulted, Zeke had eye trouble, and Annie found romance with mustard and relish. Did you by any chance see a football game? <laughs> you can't prove it by me. They sure do a lot of nothing before anybody footballs. Well, the first thing that catch my eyes was them boys on the field all getting in a circle with the heads together and the arms around each other. Real romantic-like. Oh, why, Judy, that's the huddle. I can see you got a lot to learn about football. You reckon you could teach me to huddle? Uh, what I mean is you should go with somebody who knows what it's all about. Oh, you think I order, huh? Well, sure, sure. Well, I ain't busy tomorrow night. Yeah, but there, there isn't any football game tomorrow night. I know it. I ain't no fool. Oh, now look, Judy, couldn't we sort of... Hey, Zeke, put down that gun. Taint loaded. Taint loaded, huh? Judy, will you do me a favor? Get somebody else to teach you the game of football. It's so dangerous, and I'm so young. <laughs> Mr. Amici, Zeke was only fooling. Yeah, well, that's kind of carrying a joke too close. Well, matter in fact, if I want to learn about football, I can learn all about it from my own family. Oh, well, that's fine. I didn't know they played football down in Unadilla. Play football? Why, Mr. Amici, you know them school kids down home never hear the arithmetic. They call it signal practice. <laughs> Did Zeke ever play football, Judy? <laughs> Did they play football? Ha! He was probably All-American. Ha-ha. <laughs> He's better than that. He's All-Unadilla. All-Unadilla? Now, what do you think of that? I was a triple threat man. Triple threat, huh? Yeah. Kick, bite, and choke. <laughs> Boy, if Zeke is that tough, I'm surprised some college didn't buy him a pair of shoes and put him on their football team. Oh, he's better with them all. That's how I got the offer to play for USC. Zeke really got an offer to play at USC? They sure did. Unadilla School of Carpody. Oh, Curopody. 
Yes, sir, Carpody. And he played for him in his spare time under a different name. Oh, incognito, huh? No, sir, Kelly was the name he used. We had a swell Alma Matty song, too. Yeah, I'll bet you did. What was the name of it? Shucks, I forget. Do you know it, Judy? No, sir. I don't remember it, neither. Well, let's see now. Unadilla School of Carapodi. What kind of a theme yeah, song would they Chiropody. have? Oh, I bet it was Flatfoot Fluji, huh? <laughs> nope, that ain't it. Well, maybe it was Fall in Love. Fall in Love says my arch. No. Uh, Zeke, was it my sweet little callous blue gown? No. Or, um, uh, the last toes of summer? Well, it could have been the folks who live on the hill. Nope, it weren't none of them. Well, how about Whistler and his dogs? Or it's, it's a shin to tell a lie. Stand back, y'all. Stand back. I got it. What? Ankles away. That's it. Judy, I'm certainly glad that you settled the title of the theme song of the Unadilla School of Chiropody so that we can all listen to you, Annie and Zeke, sing Hounds on My Tracks. Hounds on my track, chickens on my back, gonna make it to my shanty if I can, if I can, if I can. Gonna make it to my shanty if I can. Squirrel on the fence, my dog ain't got no sense. Gonna make it to my shanty if I can. If I can. If I can. Gonna make it to my shanty if I can. Come on, Buster. Oh, lady. Oh, lady. Gonna make it to my shanty if I can. If I can. If I can. Gonna make it to my shanty if I can. Donna Michi is a cutie. Miss Lamore's a sweet patootie. Gonna make it to my shanty if I can. If I can. If I can. Gonna make it to my shanty if I can. We chopped down the old pine tree. To make my car feel brand new, neat. Hoo-hoo. Gonna make it to my shanty if I can. If I can. Your little lady. If I can. Your little lady. Gonna make it to my shanty if I Charlie, here's the happy reunion. Since you last talked to your friend Madeline Carroll, she's been over to Paris and back again. Oh, we oui, we oui, Madeline. Did you enjoy your trip, mon chéri? Oui, 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 Charlotte. C'était très, très magnifique. Oh, très good. Did you miss me? I thought of you all the time, Charlie. And just to prove it, I brought you a present from Paris. Oh, no. A present for me? Yes. Oh, you shouldn't have. What is it? Yes. Uh, well, now let me see. It isn't the Eiffel Tower. No, no. No. no, no, no. A scooter, perhaps? No, Charlie, it's better than that. Oh, it's a letter. A letter. Oh. Is there a check in it? Charlie, dear, this is a very unusual letter. Oh. 
Oh, then it has a check in it. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was written by a little French admirer of yours. Oh, who is she? It isn't a she, it's a boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Disappointment number two. This is getting worse all the time. His name is Toutou Gaston Petitjean. That does it. That does it. <laughs> That's Toutou much, much for me. Who is he? Well, he's a little assistant who sits on the knee of the great French ventriloquist, the great Pierre. Oh, gee, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) And just like you, he's a little mannequin. No. Today, I am a mannequin. (laughs) (laughs) You should see this boy, Charlie. He's the idol of the Parisiennes. The ladies all adore him. That's so. Mm -hmm. In fact, he's the toast of France. Oh, isn't that good? My... How old is this little French toast? Or, I mean, this, uh, <laughs> this squirt. <laughs> well, I'd say he's about your age, Charlie. Oh, yes. And, and he's very eager to learn the American language. Uh-huh. So he wrote to you in English, and he's hoping that you'll answer him. Would you like to hear what he wrote, Charlie? Well, uh, no. <laughs> oh, but it's a very charming letter. Oh, then read it. <laughs> Let me read it. Now, yes. He starts off by saying, uh, yes, um, dear, dear Shadow, uh, my petit shoe. Petit shoe? Does he mean I'm a heel or something? <laughs> no, Charlie, Charlie. Pretty shoe is French for cabbage head. Oh, well, that's the cabbage head. <laughs> that's worse yet. Why, the fresh punk. What? <laughs> no, Charlie. In French, cabbage head is a term of endearment. Cabbage head is? Well, it doesn't translate very well. I'll say that, Mark. <laughs> and then he writes, Every week I listen to hear you on the air over the TSF. <laughs> The TSF, oh, the little fool, he means NBC, doesn't he? <laughs> no, Charlie, dear. You see, they don't call it radio over there. Oh. They call it TSF, which stands for Telephone Sans Fil. Oh. Uh, telephone Without Wires. Sure, I'll bet you. Oh, telephone Without Wires. <laughs> I don't think it'll ever be practical. <laughs> well, be that as it may. Let me read you the rest of Tutu's letter. Oh, do-do, yes, do-do. <laughs> I try to obtain your program every Monday morning, but I am not very successful. Oh, that's too bad, isn't it? That is too bad, yeah. I wonder if you ever tried tuning in on Sunday night. <laughs> the dope cabbage head. That's the part it learns me of. But, Charlie, don't you realize that the clocks are five hours faster in Paris than here? They are? Mm-hmm. Well, can't they slow them down? Now, why hasn't someone thought of that? Well, I just did. Somebody ought to make notes of these things. But to go on with the letter. Uh, Tutu says... Tutu, here we go again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know I like (laughs) him. I am glad you are very popular in America, yes? Yes. And maybe sometime you will come to see I in Paris, no? Yes, no, uh, He sure does murder the English, doesn't he? Is he illiterate? I guess he must be. Yes, no? <laughs> oh, no, I think he's very cute. Yeah. And, Charlie, he signs his letter, Your Petite Parisian Pal, Toutou Gaston Petitjean. Toutou Gaston Petitjean. <laughs> he must get awful tired lugging that handle around. <laughs> cabbage head. That's the one that cuts me, cabbage head. Yeah, I got it. Take a letter. Take a letter. Yes, sir. Yeah. Monsieur Petitjean. Got that? Mm-hmm. Good. <clears throat> Dear Gopher Puss. <laughs> gopher Puss? Yes, yes, Gopher Puss. 
In America, that's a term of endearment. <laughs> well, I never heard of that, Charlie. Well, I never heard of cabbage head. <laughs> Gopher puss stays. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. Yeah, don't let it happen too often. And <clears throat> to continue, quote... Have you got that? Yes. I never hear your program in America with or without wires, sans phony. But I will forgive you for that cabbage head crack if when I get to Paris, you will search la femme for me, and I will do the same for you in America. Your American army, Charlie, Audrey. <laughs> I'll mail that as it is. Very good, sir. And I'm sure Tutu will be most pleased when he receives this letter. Yeah, I thought it was rather well put myself. <laughs> what kind of a boss does Tutu have? Oh, he's very handsome, debonair, and he has a moustache. Oh, he has. Mm. Oh, yes. <laughs> Maybe Bergen could raise a moustache, huh? Well, I don't know. It might be too much of a strain on his system. Do you think he'd look better with a moustache, Charlie? Well, it would help, yes. You couldn't see his lips move while I was talking. <laughs> oh, Charlie, you shouldn't say that. You know, little Tutu always speaks well of his boss. Well, maybe he gets paid more than I do. Well, he told me that his salary is 1,500 centimes a week. Yeah, well, that's 1,500 centimes. Wow. I could kick myself for what I'm working for. I could kick Bergen, too. 1,500 centimes. That's right, Charlie. Charlie, is he sucking it away? Or has he got a big family? Well, I, I don't know about that, but I do know that that's his salary. Gee, 15, I want Bergen's. Hey, Bergen, did you hear that? What's that, Charlie? Miss Carroll was just telling me about a ventriloquist over in Paris who pays this boy 1500 a week. Now, think of that. Gee. <laughs> Yeah. It's enough to make it fall off. Yeah. I could jump on it. 1500 a week. Yes. <laughs> oh, 1500 a week? Yeah. Why, I can't believe that. Well, Miss Carroll just said to Miss Carroll, well, just tell me about this ventral. Go on, tell him about it. <laughs> Is it true? That's right. 1500 centimes. Oh, 1,500 centimes. Yeah, centimes. Yeah, well, centimes is... That's French for a... <laughs> yeah, well, it's still a buck. Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, no, 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 no. No, it's still a buck. It's a hundred centimes to make a franc. With mustard? <laughs> why, a centime, why, that's less... Why, it's much less than a cent. Yeah? Yeah. Less than a cent? Why, of course it is. Is there anything less than a penny? Of course there is. Well, how come you haven't paid me off in it? Charlie McCarthy's radio game is the new sensation from coast to coast. Here's the latest news about it. Everybody's playing Charlie's new radio game. Yes, sir. Small fry, big fry, from six to sixty. That's right, Charlie. It's packed with suspense and thrills. Yeah, it's a fascinating, you bet it is, yes. You get 21 figures of the stars on this program, and they're all in beautiful, natural color. Yeah, Bergen's in usual pale pink. <laughs> Charlie, please. There are four figures each of Edgar Bergen, Nelson Eddy, Don Amici, Dorothy Lamour, and Robert Armbruster. 
Uh, so far, mildly interesting. Oh, but there's just one figure of Charlie McCarthy. Sensational. <laughs> and you must have Charlie to win. Well, naturally, how else, pray tell? So, so get Charlie's absorbing new game. Just mail us two dated bag fronts from Chase and Sanborn dated coffee and only ten cents. And if you like coffee with plenty of rich, bracing flavor, you'll enjoy dated coffee. For this is more than a fine blend of the world's choice coffees. It's coffee you know is fresh. Uh -huh. The date on the bag front tells you when your grocer received it, fresh from the nearest roasting oven. That's good. Try delicious Chase and Sanborn dated coffee. Think of will. Mail us the two dated bag fronts with only ten cents, and we'll promptly send you Charlie's new radio game. Yes, sir. The game's on me. Address... Chase and Sanborn, 420 Lexington Avenue. That's 420 Lexington Avenue. 420, 420, yeah. Oh, Charlie. Oh, oh. Meaning not, you Meaning not, yeah. Not really. Yes, yes, really. 420 Lexington Avenue, New York City. Buy Chase and Sanborn dated coffee tomorrow. October soon fades into November, and Nelson Eddy bids it farewell with a drinking song from Robin Hood, Brown October Ale. And it's will you quaff with me, my lads, and it's will you quaff with me. It is a drop of nut brown ale I offer unto ye. All humming in the tank, but lads, it cheers the heart forlorn. Oh, here's a friend to everyone. Tis stout and barley corn. Small up, lads, and what lads, to make you stout and hail.
once more at the end of another Chase and Sanborn hour. An hour made possible by your purchases of Chase and Sanborn coffee. That's the best way to tell us you enjoy our show. We'll all be back next Sunday. Nelson Eddy, Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy, Dorothy L'Amour, Judy Canova with Annie and Zeke, Robert Armbruster with the Chase and Sanborn Orchestra, and our special guest, the star of You Can't Take It With You, Gene Arthur. Until then, this is yours sincerely, Don Amici, saying au revoir. Be with us again next Sunday for another big Chase and Sanborn hour. Gene Arthur, Don Amici, Nelson Eddy, Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, Dorothy Lamore, Judy Canova, with Annie and Zeke, and Robert Armbruster and the Chase and Sanborn Orchestra. Heard on this program were Two Sleepy People from Thanks for the Memory and The Big Show by Jerome Kern. This is Wendell Niles speaking for the makers of Chase and Sanborn Coffee. This is the National Broadcasting Company. The Grape Nuts and Grape Nuts Flakes program, starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Dennis Day, Rochester, and yours truly, Don Wilson. You know how we talk about a man being a swell provider, don't you? Meaning he's the guy that produces the goods and how. Well, tonight I'd like to talk about two swell providers for your breakfast table. They're Grape Nuts and Grape Nuts Flakes. Boy, do they produce the goods. First, with that grand go-right-to-your-heart flavor, the malty-rich flavor of sun-ripened wheat and malted barley. Grape Nuts, crisp and crunchy. Grape Nuts Flakes, delicate, toasty brown flakes. Oh, boy. Why, when you sit down to a breakfast with one of these two cheerful, tempting treats, right away you feel all's right with the world. And you'll continue feeling that way all morning long. You see, nutritionists tell us the adequate breakfast should include a cereal with whole grain food values. And there you are. Both grape nuts and grape nuts flakes are crammed full of whole grain nourishment, including iron, niacin, and vitamin B1. Yes, for delicious goodness plus grand nourishment, get those swell providers, grape nuts and grape nuts flakes. gentlemen, as our show opens today, we move the clock back a few hours and take you to Jack Benny's house, where Jack is entertaining his friend, Groucho Marx, and Rochester is busy cleaning up the library. My heart tells me this is just a... My, my, this library show is dusty. Must be 50 shelves in here. I wish Mr. Benny would get books for him. <laughs> mm, this room certainly looks empty. Just a pair of bookends holding up a social security card. <laughs> My heart tells me this is just a fling. Yet you say our love means everything. Do you mean what you are saying? <laughs> Hello, Mr. Benny's residence. Oh, hello, Sam. What's the good word? I can't get off today. And even if I could, I wouldn't participate. 
I made a New Year's resolution not to play dice anymore. I can't show you the resolution. I lost it in a crap game. <laughs> anyway, Sam, I'm too busy. We have company. I don't know, some grouch by the name of Marx. Oh, oh Rochester. I'll be with you in a second, boss. I gotta say goodbye now, Sam. See you Wednesday. Oh, well, I'll see you Friday. The game ought to be over by then. <laughs> so long. Rochester, we're out in the patio. Coming! Boy, that was a tough game, wasn't it, Rocco? Yeah, I, I never thought you'd beat me. Groucho, Groucho, would you, would you like to start another game or do you want to rest first? I don't need any rest, so only this time you set up the checkerboard. <laughs> okay. Of course, I could get Rochester to set it up. No, no, that way we wouldn't get any exercise at all. That's right. Did you call, boss? Uh, Rochester, Mr. Marks and I just finished our game. We'd like a drink. I want a Coke. What would you like, Groucho? Right now, I'd like heading them up, but my sponsor wants me to say Blue Ribbon Beer. <laughs> oh, well... I'll have, a, I'll have a man-to-man talk with my sponsor. I'll talk to him about the birds and the beers. And... Groucho, please. You're sorry you didn't think of that line, aren't you? Yeah. Well, that makes two of us that are sorry. <laughs> Come on, Groucho, let's play. Which checkers do you want this time, the blacks or the reds? Doesn't make any difference, Jack. I'm colorblind. <laughs> colorblind? Sure, the minute I came in, I gave my coat to you and shook hands with Rochester. <laughs> that was me. I spent last week in Palm Springs. I couldn't get a room, so I had to sleep out in the sun. Well, that wouldn't be so tough if you combed your eyebrows down over your eyes instead of up over your scalp. I never thought of I never thought of that. I didn't think of it either. I just read it here in the script. <laughs> I read anything they put in for me. What? Yes, sir. Here's your Coke, Mr. Benny, and Mr. Marks, here's your bottle of beer. Thank you, Rochester. That'll be 15 cents. <laughs> Rochester, Mr. Marks happens to be my guest. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Marks. There's no charge for the beer. Thanks, thanks. Say, how about a bottle opener? That'll be 15 cents. <laughs> Rochester. Jack, I thought the ticket I bought at the front door covered everything. <laughs> it does, Groucho. Now, here, uh, here's your drink. Fine-looking beer. Glass of grape nuts with a head on it. <laughs> oh, Wish I could Groucho. say as much for you. <laughs> Joe, stop clowning and let's get on with our game of checkers. Okay, it's your move. So it is, so it is. Let me see. I think I'll move this uh, man. Uh, 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 hmm. No, I, I think I'll move this one. What have you got there, a butler or an outboard motor? <laughs> what? Oh, oh, now let me see. Oh, yes, I think I'll move this checker. Don't! Huh? Don't throw bouquets at me! What? It's a very subtle game. <laughs> now, let's see. Maybe if I move this one... Wait! 
Frank Sinatra was on my side. <laughs> Let me see. Maybe if I move this one. Yes, I think I will. Now, wait a minute, Jack. Don't you want to wait till you hear from the hit parade? <laughs> now, wait a minute. Oh, I know. I'm going to move this one. My eyes tell me that is not the one. Huh? Unless you're playing just for fun. What? Do you know what you want to do? <laughs> Quiet, Rochester. I'm, I'm trying to concentrate. This is the first time I've ever been to a checker recital. Now, let's see. I'd have been better off if I'd pay for the beer. <laughs> Say, Jack, we each have eight checkers left. Uh, how about doubling the bet? Well, oh, I don't know. All right, let's leave it a nickel. <laughs> yeah, if we make it any more, it takes all the fun out of the game. Oh, say, Groucho, look, before we play any more, I want to show you a trick. Watch me, watch me balance these five red checkers on my fingernails. Look. Hey, that's a pretty good stunt. Uh-oh, boss, here comes your crazy boarder, Mr. Billingsley. Oh, yes. Hello, Mr. Billingsley. Hello, Mr. Benny. Getting a manicure, I see. <laughs> no, no, I'm playing checkers with a friend of mine. This is Groucho Marx. How do you do, Mr. Billingsley? Now, don't tell me your name. Let me guess. It's Groucho Marx. I'll get it. I'll get it. Give me time. Mr. Billingsley, it's Groucho Marx. Marx. M-A-R-X. M-A-R-X. Pleased to meet you. I'm, uh... L.S. M.F.T. L.S. M.F.T. <laughs> Mr. Billingsley, if you don't mind, we're trying to play a game of checkers. Oh, then I'll run along. Goodbye, Mr. Benny. Goodbye. Oh, I haven't seen her in years. <laughs> Come on, Groucho. Let's continue with the game. Huh? Say, Jack, uh, what's that peculiar odor I smell around here? Oh, that's my camel. I think I'll get one for my house. I need an excuse, too. <laughs> Well, let's get on with our game. Gee, Groucho, isn't California wonderful? Here it is February, and we're sitting outdoors in our shirt sleeves, playing checkers. <laughs> You're right, Jack. It's a beautiful day, not a cloud in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> and say, isn't it... <laughs> Groucho... Isn't it funny how all of us radio comedians kid about the California weather? Yes, and try to make people believe that the sun doesn't always shine here. You said it. <laughs> Go ahead, Groucho. It's your move. Now, let me see. Uh, I'll move this one. All right. Then I'll move here. Just a moment, Jack. That's off the board. Oh. Oh, <laughs> oh then I'll move here. Go ahead, Groucho. Now, let's see. Uh, I'll move this one. Well... That makes me move this one. That was a pretty clever move, Jack. Now, uh, let's see. Uh... Well, I'm afraid you're going to lose this game, Groucho. Oh, I don't care, Jack. Just sitting here looking at you is sheer ecstasy. <laughs> uh, keep your mind on the game, Groucho. Who moved last? I did. Hey, wait a minute. Look what time it is. My goodness, I have to go over to the studio for my broadcast. Say, Groucho, do you want me to drive you home? No, thanks. I'll just wait here and catch my house as it floats by. 
Oh, yes. Yes, you, uh... You do live upstream, don't you? <laughs> Just above the dam. Yes. Yes, we come down and spawn during the month of May. <laughs> yeah, I gotta pick up Mary and take her to the studio. So, great, say, Groucho, why don't you come along and see my program? All right, but don't forget, you're coming over to my program next week. Okay, Groucho, it's a deal. Okay, oh, goodbye, boss, Jack. Boss, you better come in. Why? That California dust is coming down in buckets. <laughs> oh, it is at that. Come on in, Groucho. Oh, Butterfly, Butterfly. Yes, Miss Livingston? Uh, Mr. Benny's picking me up in a few minutes, and I don't know what dress to wear. Well... You think it'd be all right if I wore my green dress with my brown coat? Oh, it's all right with me if it's all right with you. Well, the only trouble is when I wear that green dress, everybody keeps looking at me. You should worry, as long as you've got it on. <laughs> I suppose so. Anyway, Mr. Benny always likes to see me nicely dressed at the broadcast. I wish he were here now. Well, don't worry. Your green dress looks awfully pretty. Well, I'm not worried about the dress now. I'm thinking about the shoes. I don't know whether he'd like me to wear high heels or low heels. I think Mr. Benny is a low heel type. <laughs> Butterfly, what do you mean? I mean he'd like you to look shorter than him. Oh. Now take my boyfriend, Jerome. He always wants me to wear high heels. Why? Does he want you to look taller? No, he likes to trip me. <laughs> trip you? Well, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Oh, that must be Mr. Benny now. I better hurry along, Butterfly. See you when I get home from the broadcast. All right. Goodbye, Miss Livingston. And I hope you'll be very funny on the program. Well, thanks, Butterfly. I'm glad you're interested. Oh, it's not that. But when you don't get lost, I can't show my face on Central Avenue. <laughs> well, I'll try my best. Goodbye. Bye. Mary, hurry up. We'll be late for the program. I'm coming. I'm coming. Hello, fellas. Hiya, gang. Here we are. Hello, Jack. Hiya, Mary. Hello, Mr. Benny. Don. Don, are we ready to start the show? Well, Jack, the show's been on ten minutes. Oh, oh, that's right. Is everybody here? Yes. Good, because I've got a big surprise. Now, ladies and gentlemen, tonight for our feature attraction, we're going to do one of our great mystery melodramas entitled, Who Put the Thumbtack on Mrs. Gilroy's Davenport? Or... <laughs> Now, in this play... <laughs> in, this, in this play, I will once again be that master super sleuth, Captain O'Benny. And Phil... Oh, for heaven's sake, Jack. Every time we do one of these plays, you always want to be the captain. Yeah, why don't you let somebody else be the captain? All right, Phil, you can be the captain. I'll be the sergeant. It's about time I got a decent part. All right, all right, you're the captain. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as the scene opens at police headquarters, the captain is found dead. <laughs> Which immediately promotes... Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is something wrong, Bud? Well, I want to be the sergeant. You be the captain. Well, if you insist, Bill, you're the sergeant. Now, Dennis, 
You're going to be my expert on fingerprints. What's a fingerprint? <laughs> Look, kid, when you put your hand on a doorknob, pull the door open and go inside, what do you leave on the doorknob? My glove, it's too big for me. <laughs> I don't mean that. Oh, I'll explain it to him, Jack. Look, Dennis, did you ever see Mr. Benny eating in a restaurant? Yeah. Well, a fingerprint is what he leaves on the table for the waitress. <laughs> Very funny. Who told you that joke? A waitress. A waitress I know. <laughs> Phil, you and Dennis will be my assistants, and Don, you're going to be the murdered man. The murdered man? Yes. You don't mind, do you? Mm, oh, no, not at all. But tell me, Jack, do I get killed before breakfast or after? Oh, Don, what's the difference? What's the difference? Are you crazy? Don. Why, if I'm killed before breakfast, I won't have a chance to eat those toasty brown sweet as a nut grape nuts flakes. I know, Don Z, but... Let me die after breakfast, then I can act. You can? Yes, my motto is, eat a good breakfast, do a better job. Oh, oh, I see. Well, all right, Don, we'll fix it that way. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this mystery melodrama will go on immediately after Don has his breakfast and Dennis sings his song. Go ahead, Dennis. Okay. Well, Mr. Benny, before I sing, there's something I'd like to ask you. What is it, kid? Did Mrs. George Bernard Shaw leave you anything? <laughs> no, no, Dennis. Go ahead and sing, will you? Anything come what might For the sake of having you near In spite of a warning voice That comes in the night And repeats and repeats in my ear Aren't you an old little fool You never can win Use your mentality Wake up to reality each time I do just the thought of you makes me stop before I begin cause I've got you under my skin I've got you
was I've Got You Under My Skin, sung by Dennis Day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for our mystery melodrama entitled... Say, Jack. What? Did you hear Fred Allen's program last week? Well, I was driving along in my car listening to the radio just as Allen was coming on the air. Oh, then you heard him. No. Fortunately, I had a wreck in the nick of time. <laughs> what happened on Allen's program? Well, he was talking to Luella Parsons about the book she wrote. Oh, the one about all the leading radio and screen personalities? Yes, and Alan said if she tore out the pages about you, the book would sell for a higher price. Oh. Well, Alan was just mad because his life story was so short. Born in Boston, died in Vaudeville. <laughs> Buried in radio. <laughs> there. Anyway, Mary, that book Luella Parsons wrote is really swell. It's called The Gay Illiterate. Hey, wait a minute, Jackson. Don't get personal. <laughs> Bill, I wasn't talking about you I just mentioned the title of the book The Gay Illiterate Yeah, there's nothing wrong in being gay <laughs> Thank you, kid Anyway, getting back to Alan I could tell you more But since this is Good Fellowship Week I must admit that deep in my heart I love Fred Allen And now, folks Say, Jackson, that reminds me You know the magazine Billboard Had a radio editor's poll And they voted Fred Allen's program The funniest on the air Oh, they did, eh? Well, let me tell you... Jack, Jack, this is Good Fellowship Week. Oh, yes. Congratulations, Freddie. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, for our thrilling mystery melodrama entitled The Gilroy Murder Case, or He Must Have Been a Sword Swallower Because the Stabbing Was an Inside Job. <laughs> That sounds like a Groucho Marx if I ever heard one. <laughs> the scene opens. The scene opens behind closed doors. The scene opens behind closed doors at police headquarters, where we find that rough, tough, hard-bitten super sleuth, Captain O'Benny. Curtain. Music. Lay that pistol down, babe. Lay that pistol down. Captain O'Benny! Woo! <laughs> I wish you wouldn't scare me, O'Harris. I'm alone here, you know. Now, what is it? Well, Sergeant O'Day and me want to know if you have any more assignments for us. More? What happened on that Langley murder case I sent you two to investigate? Oh, that we did, sir. <laughs> That's right, Captain. We went over there, but we found the man dead. Good. What did you do? We buried him and went home. <laughs> Fine bunch of assistants I've got. Now listen, men. I'll take it. Hello, Police Captain O'Benny speaking. Oh, Captain, Captain, this is Mrs. Gilroy. Yes? Come over to my house at once. My husband was murdered. Murdered? When? Now. <laughs> now? Yes, he ate a good breakfast, but I did a better job. I see. Well, we'll be, we'll be right over. Goodbye. All right, men, there's been a murder. Close the doors and don't let anybody out. But, Captain, it didn't happen here. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Come on, fellas, let's go. The police car's outside. And we'll find the murder of Mrs. Gilroy's husband, or my name ain't Clearwater Clapsaddle O'Benny. <laughs> Thank you.
This is the house, man. Hmm. There she is now. We're the police. Are you the widow? Yes. Oh, poor Donald. He was such a good husband. Oh, Donald, why did you leave me? I know how you feel, Mrs. Gilroy. <laughs> and what an ordeal I'll have to go through. You see, Donald loved my voice, and I promised him I'd sing at his funeral tomorrow. We're going to bury him today. Quiet and cut out the dialect. Oh. <laughs> I hope he hears me. Oh, my poor Donald. You, you promised your husband you'd sing at his funeral? Yes. Mercy dose and dozy dose and little empty divey, you kiss me divey too, wouldn't you? Oh, poor, poor Donald! <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Hey, Chief. What? I happen to know that yesterday Mrs. Gilroy took out a million-dollar insurance policy on her husband. Uh -huh. Then she went out and got herself a pistol permit. Then she bought a sharp knife, an axe, and a pound of arsenic. <laughs> That must have been Phil Harris's line. <laughs> hmm. Well, then what killed him? Measles. Oh, yes. X marks the spots. Oh, my poor husband. He's gone. And left me with seven children. Seven little children that I'll have to raise myself. Oh, why did he have to die and leave me to care for those poor little innocent darlings? Oh, why, why, why? Wait a minute. Calm down. You haven't any children. I know, but this is the week of the Academy Award, and I thought I'd make a stab at it. <laughs> well, forget about it. Come in. Say, I understand that a man was murdered here a couple of hours ago. That's right. What do you know about it? Nothing. I just want to read his room. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm sorry, but his room's not for rent, honey. Okay. Goodbye, honey. Aha, uh -huh, my first suspect. What are you talking about? I never saw that man before in my life. And why did you call him honey and kiss him? This is good fellowship week. <laughs> oh, yes, I keep forgetting. Well, I'm going to search this room. Now, listen, Mrs. Gilroy. Hey, Chief, Chief! What is it, O'Day? Would you think a man is guilty if you saw him running around with a smoking gun in one hand, a bloodstained knife in the other, and he just kept screaming? I did it! I did it, and I'm glad! I tell you, I'm glad I did it! Ha! I'm glad I did it! <laughs> Why, of course that man is guilty. Well, if I see anyone like that, I'll arrest him. <laughs> that O.J. is a great detective. Now listen, Mrs. Gilroy, I'm going to search this room to find the murder of your husband. I'll look in this closet first. Ah, here's a gun. Put it in your handkerchief, O'Harris. In my handkerchief? Yes, then you won't erase the fingerprint. Okay. Now let's... Oh, Harris, what happened? I shouldn't have blown my nose with it. <laughs> That's all right. You look better that way. <laughs> now, come on, Harold Harris. Let's go out in the backyard and look for more clues. Yeah, it's too nice a day to be inside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, look. A body. Face down on the grass. Yeah, and he's wearing a checkered suit. A checkered suit? See, that gives me a great idea. Can you play checkers, O'Harris? Yeah, Chief. Then what are we waiting for? Sure, we can use the buttons for checkers. Okay. It's your move, O'Harris. Now, uh, let's see. Okay, I'll move this one. Okay. I think I'll move this one. 
All right, I'll jump you. Doggone, it looks like you got me cornered this time. Well, let's see. I'll move this one here, and then we'll... Mr. Wilson, you worked real hard in that mystery drama, so I'm going to help you out now. You're going to help me out? Yes, sir. I'm going to do some announcing for you. Folks, you just don't know how good breakfast can be unless you've enjoyed that multi-risk, toasty brown flake cereal that's American favorite. Now, just a second, Rochester. You left out something. Oh, no, Mr. Wilson. Folks, if you've never tried this distinctive flake cereal with the sweet as a nut flavor, you just don't know... Rochester, you left out something. Oh, no, Mr. Wilson. Folks, you never tasted anything more delicious than that multi-rich goodness and that wonderful whole grain nourishment is something you need every day. But, Rochester, listen, and this is important. You've left out something. What, Mr. Wilson? What did I leave out? You left out the name. What's the name of this multi-rich toasty brown flake cereal with the wonderful whole grain nourishment? Huh? Why, uh... Well, Rochester, I haven't heard you mention it yet. Mr. Wilson, when you say the multi-rich, whole-grain, flake cereal, that's an American favorite, why, everybody just knows it's... it's... Well, I gotta go now. I'll see you later, Mr. Wilson. Rochester, it's Grape Nuts Flakes. Well, what do you know? So long, folks. <laughs> well, Groucho, Groucho, I'll see you on your program next week. Good night, everybody. Good night. Aha and oh-ho, if you crave something good, get hot grape nut wheat meal. Ladies, you should. Aha and oh-ho, if you want a real prize, then ask for the big new economy size. Yes, a bargain in quality and quantity, too, of the luscious hot cereal that's tops in flavor, full-bodied texture, real whole wheat nourishment. That's hot grape nut wheat meal in the big 30-ounce economy size package. This is the National Broadcasting Company. <laughs> Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. The makers of Grove's bromoquinine tablets bring you another adventure of Sherlock Holmes with Basil Rathbone as Sherlock Holmes and Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson. A cold is a miserable thing. A cold may become a dangerous thing. Even a so-called light cold can take a serious turn. Be prompt, be decisive in your treatment of a cold. At the very first sign of a cold, take Grove's bromoquinine tablets. Bromoquinine tablets quickly check the symptoms of a cold, quickly relieve the distress of a cold. They give you speedy results, which are very important. Don't monkey around when you can get such a dependable preparation as Grove's bromoquinine tablet. And now, here we are again on our usual visit to Dr. Watson. He's waiting for us in his study, a cheerful blaze crackling on the heart. Very relieved to see you, Mr. Manning. Hasn't the weather been atrocious today? I was beginning to wonder if you'd be able to get here tonight through all this fog. Yes, it certainly is what you Londoners call a regular pea super. Yes, <laughs> indeed. It reminds me of the adventure of the missing submarine plans. A case that was solved in the underground. Underground? What you Americans call a, a subway. 
Yes, but what has a solution in a subway got to do with a foggy night? Well, you see, the affair started in weather exactly like this. It was the third week in November, the year 1895, to be exact. On Monday, a dense yellow fog had settled down upon London. On Thursday, it was still there, thickier and, and murkier than ever. At first, Holmes had turned his nervous energy to cross-indexing his huge reference books. But when, after pushing our breakfast chairs back for the, for the fourth morning, we saw the greasy brown swirl still drifting past the windows, Holmes's patience snapped. <laughs> If you must pace around in circles, I wish you'd change directions now and then. You're, you're making me dizzy. Bah! It's inexcusable, Watson. Inexcusable. No initiative. No imagination. Nothing ever gets done. If you're alluding to the inactivity in this last session of Parliament, my dear Holmes... I'm not speaking of our lawmakers, Watson, but of our lawbreakers. The London criminal is certainly a dull fellow. What makes you say that? Well, look out of the window. Ideal weather for committing a crime. The criminal advances and his intended victim practically unseen. He punches! and disappears into thin air. <laughs> there have been numerous petty thefts. Ah, petty, petty thefts, pickpockets, ragamuffins. What's the country coming to? Now, if I were a criminal, Watson... Well, I, for one, would move to America. <coughs> oh, hello, hello. Mrs. Hudson's knocking. Excited. What's up, I wonder? Yes, Mrs. Hudson, what is it? Oh, a telegram for me. Uh, yes, sir. Very well, thank you. Oh, well, what's it say? Well, wait until I open it, can't you? Ah, dear me, what next? Most unusual, Watson, most unusual. What's most unusual, Watson? What's it, sir? Well, it's uh, my brother, Mycroft. You remember him. He helped us solve the case of the Greek interpreter. He's coming here. Why not? What's so phenomenal about it? Why this? not? Why not, indeed? It's as startling as it would be to meet a tram car coming down a country lane. Yes, yes, now I come to think of it. Uh, Mycroft is rather like a tram car. His rails lead from his Pall Mall lodgings to the Diogenes Club in Whitehall. That's his circle. I wonder what upheaval could have derailed him. Doesn't the telegram explain? It says, uh, must see you about Cadogan West, coming at once. Cadogan West? Cadogan West? Why, that's the young chap who's found dead in the underground on Tuesday morning. I remember reading about it in the papers. Oh? The young man had apparently fallen out of the train and, and killed himself. He hadn't been robbed, and there was no reason to suspect violence. Quite an uninteresting case, if I remember correctly. Yet? It's serious enough to cause Mycroft to alter his habits. No, Watson. This must be an extraordinary event. Uh, do you recall any other facts about the affair? Yes, I come to think of it, there was one unusual bit about... Uh, came out of the inquest. They were unable to ascertain at what point he entered the train, because his ticket was missing. Strange. But articles were found on the body. Two pounds fifteen, I believe it was, a checkbook and... Oh, yes, yes, there's two dress circle tickets for the Woolwich Theatre. Dated for that evening. Theater tickets, eh? Then it wasn't suicide. A man doesn't procure theater tickets for the evening on which he intends to end his life. Anything else? A small packet of technical papers. Technical papers? What kind of technical papers? The, new, the newspapers didn't say. Ah, as serious as that. What did the young man do? Where was he employed? He was a clerk at Woolwich Arsenal. Ah, government employee. There we have it, Watson. British government. Woolwich Arsenal. Technical papers. That's why Mycroft is involved in this affair. I don't understand. No, I suppose not. Watson, have I ever told you what Mycroft is? Your brother, of course. Oh, no, 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 Watson. Do you have to be so dense? I mean, do you know what he does? Hmm? I 
seem to have some vague recollection that you once told me that he'd held some small office under the British government. It would be more accurate to say, in a way, that he is the British government. What? His position is unique. He made it for himself. As the tidiest and most orderly brain of any man alive, with a great capacity for storing facts and giving them the proper interpretation. The conclusions of every government department are passed on to him. He's the central exchange, the clearinghouse. Again and again, his word has decided the national policy. He thinks of nothing else. Nothing else can lure him from his contemplation. And yet he's coming here. Yes. Jupiter is descending on us today. What on earth can happen? Uh, Watson, that sounds suspiciously like a bad pun. Ah, here he is, if I'm not mistaken, to speak for himself. Come in, come in. Hello, Mycroft. What's up? What's up? You look flustered. Most annoying business, Sherlock. Most annoying. You know how I dislike altering my habits. Extremely awkward for me to come away from the office. Particularly with Siam, this present state. Oh, dear me. No, sit down. I can't sit down. Uh, you know Watson, of course. Oh, yes, how do you I'm trying to find a chair that I can trust to hold me. I'd better take the sofa. You certainly haven't got any thinner. I've never seen the Prime Minister so upset. As for the Admiralty, it's buzzing like an upset beehive. Do you know anything about the case? No, Watson's just been telling me what was in the newspapers. Uh, just what were the technical papers found on the body? Sherlock, for the love of heaven, not so loud. Those papers which the wretched youth had in his pocket were none other than the plans of the Bruce Partington submarine. Oh? The submarine which would completely revolutionize naval warfare. The most important papers in our government archives. Under no circumstances could they be removed from the office. Even the chief constructor of the Navy was forced to go to Woolwich if he desired to consult them. And yet we find them in the pockets of a dead junior clerk in the heart of London. Yeah, from an official point of view, it's deplorable, my dear Mycroft. Simply deplorable. You may laugh, Sherlock, but this country won't be safe until they're recovered. But I thought you said that they were found in the pocket of this chap, Cadogan West. Ten papers taken from Woolwich. Seven were found in the pockets of Cadogan West. Three are still missing, the three essential ones. To recover those three papers is imperative. The peace of Europe depends on... Mm, nice little problem, eh, Watson? Why did Cadogan West take the papers? How did he die? How did his body reach the place where it was found? And where are the missing papers? Find the answer to those questions, Sherlock, and you will have done your country an invaluable service. Oh, why don't you solve it yourself, Mycroft? I believe you could. Mm, possibly. But it's a question of digging out details. Give me the details, and I can give you the solution from an armchair. No, when it comes to running about and cross-questioning railway guards and lying on one's face with a lens to one's eye... <laughs> no, no, that's not my nature. <laughs> Besides, your, your figure prevents your taking such an undignified position, eh? <laughs> Very well. Leave that part of it was, eh, Watson? That's <laughs> all. Good. I've got a cab waiting outside to take the place where the body was found. I can give you the details on the way. <laughs> Who is the official guardian of these famous papers? No less a personage than Sir James Walter, a gentleman who has grown grey in the service. His patriotism is beyond suspicion. A uh, bachelor, if I'm not mistaken, lives with his brother. Yes. He was the house of Admiral Sinclair at Berkeley Square during the whole of the evening when this accident occurred. The Admiral vouches for him. He's one of the two who have the only keys to the safe. And his key is with him all evening? Right. His key, the key to the building, the key to the room. Hmm. Who is the man with the other key? The senior clerk, Mr. Sidney Johnson. Men of 40, married, silent, morose, with an excellent service record. Any alibi? He too had his key with him, seems to have spent the evening playing a game of drafts with a green grocer around the corner from his lodgings. 
course, he has only the word of this greengrocer to back him up. Oh, come, come, my dear Mycroft. No class discriminations, please. The word of a greengrocer is often just as good as that of an admiral. But what about Pilagan West? He had a good reputation, a bit hot-headed, but straight and honest. At least, ever than thought so. He was next to City Johnson at the office. His duties brought him into daily personal contact with the plans. No one else ever had the handling of them. Oh, it's perfectly clear. He must have taken... Ah, not so fast, Watson, not so fast. Who locked them up that night? Mr. Sidney Johnson. Ah. They were of value, commercially, I mean. Oh, yes. There's no doubt that West could have got several thousands for them very easily. And yet, only a small amount of money was found on the body. Perhaps the buyer took it back after he'd murdered West. Ah, what puzzles me is, how did West obtain possession of those papers? To do so, he must have had a false key. Several false keys, Sherlock. He had to open the building and the room as well. Oh, well, well, well. Several false keys, then. Let me see, let me see. Suppose West did take the papers and went into town. And on the way back to Woolwich, where he is hoping to replace the papers, he is killed and thrown from the train. But the spot where the body was found is considerably past the station for London Bridge, which is the route to Woolwich. Ah, it's interesting. Also, if young West did make an appointment with some foreign agent to sell the papers that night, why didn't he keep the evening clear? Why buy two theater tickets? Exactly. Furthermore, he actually escorted his fiancée halfway there before he disappeared. Blind. That's what it looks like to me. Why did he take the papers at all? Why not copy them out in the office and sell the copies? He certainly had plenty of opportunity to do so. And why the absence of his underground ticket? Perhaps a ticket would have shown us which station was near the agent's house. So the murderer destroyed it. Good, Watson. Very good. <laughs> and yet... I wonder. Well, here's the underground station. The railway authorities have sent a man round to show the exact place where the body was found. You want to change your mind and come with us? Well, crawling round that black hole on my hands and knees is <laughs> not very likely. Well, I shall expect a report on your efforts this evening. Uh, I never expect too much, Mycroft. Never expect too much. <laughs> Before we follow Holmes and Watson into the mazes of the London subway system, I have a word of advice. Every year, colds cause a lot of sickness. Every year, they cause a lot of expense and time lost from work. Always regard a cold seriously. Always treat it earnestly. At the first sign of a cold, take Grove's bromoquinine tablets. Bromoquinine tablets are famous relief for the distress of a cold. Their efficacy has been fully established. Bromoquinine tablets go right to work on a cold symptom. They don't waste any time. They don't pull any punches. They quickly relieve the misery of a cold. They help reduce the fever of a cold. Thousands of people keep bromoquinine tablets handy all winter. Thousands of people depend on them as their relief for colds. No other preparation enjoys greater confidence than bromoquinine tablets. Follow the example of millions, and at the first sign of a cold, take Grove's bromoquinine tablets. Get them at any drugstore, a few cents a box. Ask specifically for Grove, G-R-O-V-E-S, Bromo, B-R-O-M-O, Quinine, Q-U-I-N-I-N-E, Grove, Bromo Quinine Tablets. This way, sir. Get right along the tracks, but it isn't safe. Supposing a train should come shooting round that curve. Oh, that's all right, sir. There won't be another for five minutes anyway. Here we are, sir. This is where they found the body. Right here alongside the rails. Lying on its face, it was. Mm. Spooky old place, eh, Holmes? Like the catacombs, only without the skeletons. Yeah. Anything in his hands when they found him? No, sir. 
Were they clenched? Or spread out as if he were protecting himself? No, sir. They was what you might call relaxed. Ah. What time did all this happen? Well, sir, the train he was hoisted out of, as near as we can figure, passed along here about midnight on Monday. All the carriages have been examined for signs of violence, I suppose. They didn't find nothing. Not even the missing ticket. There was a passenger to Allgate on the ordinary train. About 11.40 it was. He said he'd heard a heavy thud, like something striking the line, just before the train reached this station. But it was so foggy, he said he was blessed if he could see what it was. Holmes, what's the matter? What are you staring at? The curb, Watson. What the curb of the rails. What other? What do you, what do you mean? I suppose there aren't many curves as abrupt as this. No, sir, I can't say as there is. What have curves got to do with it? Oh, an indication, Watson, merely an indication. Hmm, unique. Perfectly unique. And yet, why not? I don't see any indications of bleeding on the line. No, sir, there wasn't any to speak of. But I understand there was a considerable wound. The bone was crashed right enough. Holmes, you hear that? It's a train. It's, it's coming this way. Run, sir. Run for your life. Yes, this is where? Uh, up ahead. There's a place where the train switches off. Run, Watson, run. It's just around the curve. Well, we'll never make it. We, yes, we will. Faster, faster. There's the switch up ahead. Come on. He's going to say now. He'll make it. We'll make it. Ah, Justin. Watson, for the love of heaven. You're on the wrong track. Well, that was a narrow escape, Holmes. I, I must say my knees are so shaking. Look at the shoulder of my coat where you pull it there. Lucky thing for you that I did. Where are we off to now? And in this fog. Yes, it's a nice afternoon. Suppose we pay a few calls. I think Sir James Walter claims our first attention. After that, we might drop in on Miss Westbury. Miss Westbury? Who's she? She is Cadogan West's fiancée and the last person to see him alive. Holmes, we seem to be going around in circles. We've accomplished absolutely nothing so far except to get to, to get ourselves nearly annihilated in the underground. After all, it's perfectly obvious that the young man had a quarrel with someone, in all probability the agent, to whom he sold the papers, and got himself thrown out of the railway carriage for his pay. I disagree with you, my dear Watson. His body fell from the roof of the carriage where it had been placed. Cadogan West met his death elsewhere. The roof of the train? Consider the facts, Watson. A. The curve in the tracks. The body is found at the spot where the train pitches and sways as it comes around the points. B. There was no ticket. C. There were no signs of bleeding on the line because the body had bled elsewhere. Of course. Everything fits together, but... But where was the body placed on the train? I think I can make a fair guess of that, my dear Watson. Ah. Oh, here we are. This is the famous official villa of Sir James Walter. And that, if I'm not mistaken, is his brother, Colonel Ballantyne, just coming out of the house. What's the matter with the man? He, he looks possibly haunted. Oh, uh, pardon me, Colonel Ballantyne, but can you tell me if, uh, if Sir James is at home? Sir James, sir? Sir James is dead. Good heavens, dead. He died this morning. It's terrible. Terrible. How did he die? Oh, it's this horrible scandal. My brother, sir, was very sensitive of his honor. He couldn't survive the disgrace to his department. It broke his heart. Pardon me, gentlemen, I must go. It broke his heart. Most appalling development. Eh, Holmes? Uh, I wonder if his death was natural, or if the poor fellow killed himself. Yes? Will you tell Miss Westbrook that Sherlock Holmes would like to see her? Oh, please come in, gentlemen. I'm Violet Westbrook, Mr. Holmes. I've been expecting you ever since I heard you had taken the case. Please be seated. Well, thank you. Oh, Mr. Holmes, we, 
They must save his good name. He couldn't have done it. The Duggan was the most chivalrous, patriotic gentleman on earth. He, he couldn't have done it. He would have cut his right hand off rather than sell a state secret. But the facts, my dear Miss Westbury. I admit I can't explain them. Uh, was he in need of money? No, Mr. Holmes. His need was simple and his salary very good. He'd saved several hundred pounds. We were to be married at the new year. I see. Had you noticed any signs of mental excitement? Well, I... Well, that is... Uh, come, Miss Westbury, be frank with us. Yes, Mr. Holmes. <laughs> that night, I... I had a feeling that there was something on his mind. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it, will you? We were on the way to the theater. It was a foggy night, you remember? We were walking slowly. Our way took us close to his office. Cadogan seemed thoughtful and worried. Darling, what's the matter? You haven't said a word for the last five minutes. Have I said or done something? Of course not, silly. It's just that I've got something on my mind. Well, why not tell me about it? Perhaps I can help. It's no use, Vi. It's too serious for me to talk about, even to you. You know, sometimes, Caddy, I feel just the least little bit jealous of that old job of yours when you're cooped up in that building all day. Oh, now you're not going to be jealous of the building. <laughs> well, not really. But it is funny to think of a husband having secrets he can't tell his wife. Mighty important secrets, I can promise you. There's one in particular that any foreign spy would pay good money to get hold of. Oh, thrilling. Well, I don't know. They're awfully slack about some things over there in that building, Violet. What's too slack? It would be too confounded easy for a traitor to get his hands on those plans. What plans? Oh, never mind, darling. I guess I'm getting a bit melodramatic. But there's something been worrying me. Hello, what's that? What's what? Over there, that shadow moving along the side of the building. It's a man. So that's it. I always suspected... Oh, what's the matter here? You're so excited. What's wrong? Stay here, Violet. There's something I have to find out. Stay here. I waited and waited, but he never returned. Oh, Mr. Holmes, if you could only save his honor, it, it meant so much to him. We shall do our best, Miss Westbrook. This, um, this shadow, this man moving along the building, did you see it too? I think I did, Mr. Holmes. But the night was so foggy, I can't be sure. But there must have been a man. Another man, it, it couldn't have been Cadogan. Surely character goes for something. Let us hope so. Come on, Watson. We must return home. I'm expecting an answer to some telegrams I sent Mycroft earlier this afternoon. We've done enough for one day. Holmes, where have you been all day? You left this morning before I was up. Now you've come home with a towel awry, your suit torn, and as ravenous as a wolf. <laughs> yes. I've had a bit of exercise, my dear Watson. Uh, pass me the tongue, will you? It would have done you good to go along. Yes, what were you doing? Investigating the premises inhabited by foreign spies known to have been in London on last Monday. Mycroft sent me a list of them. Took a bit of doing, too. Climbing walls, breaking into cellars, prowling around rooftops. Oh? I discovered there was only one residence which had the uh, proper facilities for disposing of West's body after the murder. Well, whose residence was that? It belonged to a Hugo Oberstein. The address is 13 Corky Gardens, Kensington. The gentleman himself has departed for Europe. Gone, has he? And he took the plans with him. It's, it's too late. Not necessarily, Watson. What can we do now? We're going to keep a rendezvous with the gentleman who stole and sold those plans. The assignation will take place at Mr. Oberstein's house this evening at nine. What the deuce are you talking about? Uh, these newspaper clippings. I found them in the drawer of Hugo Oberstein's desk. Read them. Hmm. The Daily Telegraph agony column. The first one says, Two complex with description must have full report. Terms agreed. Two payable when goods delivered. Signed, Pierre. 
Yeah, indeed. Sounds like a Mardi Gras. Uh, read on, Watson. Read on. Second goes, matter pressures must withdraw for unless contact completed. Pierrot again. And the last, dated Monday, the day the crime is committed. Monday night after nine, two taps, payment in hard cash. I say, do you think it was a submarine that, that the plans that, that he was buying? I'm almost positive. And Pierrot was Oberstein himself. But we'll find out for certain this evening. I've invited the gentleman who sold the papers to meet us. How? I don't understand. I said it was advertisement in today's Daily Telegraph. Tonight, same hour, same place, two taps, vitally important. Your own safety at stake. Signed, Pierrot, as usual. I George, if he answers that, we've, we've got him. Unless we're too late. Come along, Watson. There's no time to lose. You can take this package for a change. I'll, uh, I've been carrying it around all day. What's in it? Oh, just a jemmy, a dark lantern, a chisel, and a revolver. Nice equipment for a respectable citizen to be carrying about the streets of London. I must... Hey, you know, Watson, there are times when I suspect we aren't quite respectable. <laughs> Here we are. This is Coffee Gardens. It's so foggy. I shouldn't like to be caught in the act of housebreaking. Yeah. Over this wall, Watson. With a window we can easily pry open in the back. Scale that wall? Come on, hurry up, hurry up. There's no time to lose. Here, here. I'll give you a boost. Mm. Come on, up here. That's it. Look out. Here I come. I must say, Holmes, your dad was a cat. It's uncanny. This is the window. Light the lantern and give me the jemmy. One. Two. Mr. Holmes, the underground runs right past here, almost on the level of these windows. I could have reached out and touched it. Yes, quite convenient, wasn't it? Because here the body was placed on the roof of the train. Look at this, uh, look at this windowsill. Hmm? You can see the soot is blurred where they rested the body. And here, look here, look, look. This brown stain is blood. Mm, nasty, eh, Holmes? Let's, let's get on to the house. Very well, then. Come along, come along. The window's open. Easy, easy, don't break the glass. Supposing I'm strange to happen to return home. Well, we must take our chances in this business. Come along, Watson, come along. Our visitor will expect to be let in by the front door. I wish these stairs didn't, didn't squeak so. Nine o'clock. We can expect him at any moment now. You take your position on one side of the door. I'll be on the other. We can punch on him when he enters. I'll throw my greatcoat over his head. I wish he'd hurry. Shh, Watson. What? what if he doesn't come? There he is. Ready now. I'll open the door. You wanted me? No, you don't. Take that. Easy, Watson, easy. All right, Holmes, I've got him. Well, let's take a look at that cat. Take the overcoat away, Watson. Hi. Colonel Valentine Walker, Walter, to change his book. Quite. Well, son, what have you to say for yourself? Why did you steal the Bruce Paddington plans? Who are you? What do you know about this? I am Sherlock Holmes, and I know everything. Oh, this is terrible. I'm not. I didn't realize their importance until my brother killed himself. But I needed the money. I had to have it. Oberstein offered to give it to me if I'd let him see the plans. So you took an impression of your brother's key, opened the safe, and procured the papers. Cadogan West saw you leaving the building, followed you here, and you killed him. No, I didn't do that. I swear I didn't do it. No? Then perhaps you'd better tell us who did murder Cadogan West and placed him on the roof of the railway carriage. I'll tell you. I promise you I will. I did the rest. I confess it, but, but not that. Very well, then. How did it happen? I got the papers, as you discovered. Made my way through the fog until I reached the door. Once or twice, I fancied I was being followed. I could hear footsteps on the pavement behind me. Order? Yes. You have the papers? Yes. Let me in, quick. 
I think someone's been following me. Yes, it's me. Yes. You can't do this, Valentine. It's treason. What are they doing here? No, you can't sell the papers, Valentine. I won't let you. They should see. Look out, Fletcher. Take that. How do you like that, my impetuous young friend? Papa Oberstein, he knows how to use some blackjack, eh? You, you, you killed him. So? It's murder. I'm going to get out of this. Oh, no. I think different. You will come in here if you do not wish to taste the blackjack, too. But I... I... But... That is better. Oh, what can we do? They'll find the body. I have an idea. First, I look at those papers. I take the ones I want and the rest. We put in the pocket of this foolish young man. And then we give him a nice ride on top of the underground train, no? He will be the guilty one. Who will ever know? What a thoroughly unpleasant gentleman. What a pity that he got away with the papers, Dr. Watson. Oh, but he didn't. Augustine had left a Paris forwarding address with Colonel Walters. That gentleman sent him a letter dictated by Holmes, saying that he had discovered that one essential detail in the plans was missing, and that he had procured a tracing which would make it complete for a price. And did Oberstein swallow the bait? <laughs> did he swallow it? He was arrested as he got off the boat at Folkestone. Some weeks later, I learned incidentally that Holmes had spent a day at Windsor Castle and returned with a remarkably fine emerald typing. When I asked him where he got it, he answered it was just a small present from a certain gracious little old lady for whom he'd been able to do a, a small favor. Yes, and I think I can guess the lady's august name. Elementary, my dear Mr. Manning, elementary. I see. Ladies and gentlemen, in just a moment, Dr. Watson will be back to tell us about next week's story. In the meantime, let us repeat. Watch out for colds. At the first sign of a cold, take Grove's bromoquinine tablets. Bromoquinine tablets are made especially for the relief of colds. In other words, they're specialized medication, and that's what you want. Yes, at the very first sneeze or sniffle, go right to your druggist and get a package of Grove's bromoquinine tablets. Now, Dr. Watson, next week? Next week, I think I'll tell you the story of the lion's mane. The lion's mane? What was that, Dr. Watson? Well, the answer to that question, Mr. Manning, almost stumped Sherlock Holmes himself. Suffice it to say that they were the last words gasped out by a dying man as he lay writhing in agony on the sands of the Sussex coast. <laughs> You have been listening to a Sherlock Holmes adventure, adapted from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Bruce Partington Plan, with Basil Rathbone as Sherlock Holmes and Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson. The dramatization was by Edith Miser. This program is presented from Hollywood every week at this same time by the makers of Grove's Bromoquinine Tablets. Quick relief for cold. This is Knox Manning speaking. <laughs> This is the National Broadcasting Company. This concludes tonight's episode of Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram at Ballyhoo Review Pod and now on threads under the same handle. Our theme was composed by Maddie Ghost and our introductions were done by Henry Jarvis. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for Jack Benny, who follows immediately after station identification. <laughs>